On this podcast, we talk about violent crime that's not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Reform Podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Dudek, with my special co-host, Angie Jacobs. We are excited to be talking to you today about what happened when the Salem Witch Trials started with the investigation that began when two young girls made accusations which ultimately were called witchcraft caused by the supernatural. On the last episode, we heard from little Abigail and Betty that they were having fits And they named three names as to who could have been causing them. Little Betty and Abigail point the finger at three women who would be considered probably as marginalized of society and those with less power than others. The first of these, Tichuba, the enslaved woman who made the witch cake and just trying to help out. And she doesn't even want to be there because she's been enslaved anyway. She's the first one, one of the first ones they point to. She was kept by Pastor Paris as an enslaved woman, and so they point the finger at her. And then they also point the finger at two other women who, surprise, surprise, did not regularly attend church. So they're on the outskirts already because they aren't regular churchgoers. So these two women, both of them were named Sarah. One is Sarah Osborne, and the other is Sarah Good. Sarah Osborne, she was an elderly woman at this point, and she was bedridden. So it's not like she was getting out and about very much, and I guess they thought she had a lot of time on her hands to cast spells or cavort with the devil and turn into different animals. She was generally looked down upon by others in her community because she was, God forbid, romantically involved with someone who had been an indentured servant for her. And this was a big no-no in Puritan Salem during the 1690s. She was originally married to someone who was the brother-in-law of Captain John Putnam. So again, he's one of those people belonging to the big Putnam family we talked about earlier. He was very influential in Salem Village. Uh, This is kind of her little two-second story. She got married to this person who was the brother-in-law of Captain John Putnam. Her husband later died. So they'd had a few children, and she hired an indentured servant from Ireland, I believe, who eventually paid off his indenture, and they must have fallen in love, which is kind of sweet, this during this time, because after he paid off his servitude, they got married. She's living her life. But this was pretty taboo in Salem society to even further challenge the norms of the Puritan community when she did not follow her late husband's will and give the farm that she'd inherited to her two sons. So she kept the farm for herself and her new husband. And as you can imagine, this went against the norms of Salem, and it also caused legal problems with her and her two sons once they were of age, because they were not satisfied with this arrangement, because they thought their father's will should stand and it should go to them. Men getting things just because they exist. So she did what she wanted and decided just not to abide by the Puritan society, and what they told her to do. So she's already pulled herself out of the norm. She's not she's not on that ladder anymore. She's like, I'm going to live my, my own life. 
do what I need to. So that's our Sarah Osborne. The second Sarah is Sarah Good. She was originally the daughter of a wealthy tavern owner, but she eventually became poor and homeless due to the wonderful inheritance laws that existed at the time. They really pretty much cut daughters out of inheritance. When her father died, she didn't inherit his wealth. She didn't get much. And the only thing she could do was get married. And so the only person she could get married to was again, both Sarah's have this in common. She married an indentured servant, but this guy was not so great. He was in serious debt and he passed away and she inherited all of his debts. So you don't get the money, but you get the debts. That is how it works in Salem at the time. Salem's great now, but at the time it wasn't so great for women. She did marry again though, but by this time she was penniless and she was forced with her new husband to beg from those in Salem for food and for help. 400 years ago, it's not like you just go online and try and make some money or do a GoFundMe. Do a GoFundMe, right. Mm-hmm. They didn't even have the bell ringers outside of places gathering money. You just had to go door to door begging for things. <laughs> so... <laughs> She didn't have no, I mean, I'm laughing just because it is, a, it's not easy in today's society, but yeah, it's not like Sarah Good's going to set up a GoFundMe. Well, and there's no social, I know people, not everyone's happy with their social welfare system, but it's not like they had a social security office or a department of health and human services or a mm-hmm. public assistance. There wasn't that. There was the churches and really they were the ones mainly who provided that kind of help. Mm-hmm. She was not lucky in love though. Sarah Good did not have good luck. Her relationship with her husband, second husband, fell apart, and he turned out to be a real jerk who actually testified against her at her trial when she was being accused of being a witch. I'm pretty sure a couple of my ex-boyfriends would testify against me, too. Oh, oh, I'm quite certain. I, I mean, <laughs> There's that. <laughs> there is, yeah. Be careful if you're ever on trial for being a witch, because you might have people crawl out of your past. Mm-hmm. She also had some not so great interactions with Pastor Paris, who plays a continual role in the start of the witch trials. Supposedly, he gave her some charity and she wasn't properly happy and thankful about it. So she then developed a reputation for being unpleasant and unhappy, regardless of whether or not you actually provided her with charity or not. Basically, they thought she was a witch. Maybe a bitch. She developed a bad reputation and she was someone again who lived on the fringes of society. We have a enslaved woman and two other women who have chosen not to live by the norms of society. Those are the first three women accused of being witches. Tituba, Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne. All women that were marginalized by society and easy to make scapegoats out of because there was really nobody who would stand up for them and they refused to follow the written or unwritten societal rules that they were supposed to follow. They're like, no thanks, I'm going to get it my own way. Now that Pastor Paris, our nice pastor, had three names, he was going to do something with it because he, of course, was almighty and wanted to do something about it. Bring down the free women who he sees as causing his problems. So he provided those names to the local magistrates from Salem Town, the bigger town, not Salem Village, but Salem Town, And these two guys were named, of course, they're men because women would not be magistrates. So you have a man providing three women's name to two other men. 
and they were going to hunt these women down and investigate what was going on. It was Jonathan Corwin and John Hawthorne. On March 1st of 1692, these guys set out to investigate the accused, what was accused of them, and to conduct a public inquiry. You may be wondering what a magistrate is. Well, a magistrate is similar to like a judge, but with less limited powers than a judge. It's a civil officer who administers the law and in this case conducts a public inquiry. So these two magistrates in this case will conduct these public inquiries, meaning that they're going to investigate what has happened. It's a matter of public concern, and so that is what they're supposed to do is investigate it. The purpose of their actions is they're supposed to find out what happened, who was involved, see if they can make any recommendations so that whatever bad event happened doesn't occur again. And then they draw conclusions and make recommendations after establishing the facts. That's where they're set it off to, and probably a good point for us to kind of wrap it up for this time. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think about all this so far? You know, it's it's fascinating in a sense. It's depressing in a sense, but you can make such ties to think about the way that they were marginalized 400 years ago and to think it's still a fight. Like, should it still be a fight? It's so true. Things have changed a lot, obviously. Women are supposed to have equal rights, although the Equal Rights Amendment, kind of equal rights. Things are better, but there is definitely a ways to go. At least our children, like, I, we have public schools that my kids are going to school. Everyone's getting educated, right? That matters. Everyone's getting educated. That matters. True. Yeah. Trying to think of some other highlights here. Some other good things that have changed. <laughs> we have domestic violence law. That's kind of nice. Yeah, we have domestic violence laws. You go to jail if you do. Hopefully. Hopefully you go to jail. Hopefully you're well, That's true. It doesn't always that's happen. True. That's true. We have more women prosecutors, so more people, that do, more people that are do engage in domestic violence do go to jail. Um, our law school numbers are about a little bit over 50% for women. Yep, that's true. Women. So kind of taking over that field, although it's still, still yeah. a struggle. That's just a change since about the 70s, I think. Yeah. I, I think even the 80s. I think when I started law school, I mean, it was in the 80s. It was in the 80s. Like, I know. I was like, did I start law school when I was six? feels like it. It honestly feels I like I started yeah. law school when I was six. You know, when I started in the late 90s, we were 40%, mm-hmm. you know, and then when I graduated, I think the incoming class was about 50. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's, you know, but I remember being called sweetheart, being slapped on the ass, being told, oh, you're such a cute little girl. My oh, first year in practicing. Yeah. It's told bullshit, but you know what? It's a, it's a, I always look at it like, you know what, just from natural attrition, I think that's dying out because a lot of the purpose of it are dying because they will get old and die just like everybody does. You know, the thing was about it that I always found that the really good attorneys, the ones that like I looked up to, they didn't know if I was female or male. They're just like, get the work done. Mm-hmm. Write the brief. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. Next time we'll talk about then the public inquiry that these two gentlemen 
the magistrates, you know, the witch hunt that they started conducting. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Reform Podcast. Stay tuned for next week when we will be talking about what happened next. What does this inquiry involve? What did they find out? What else happened? If you want to shoot us an email and ask any questions or you want us to look at anything more closely, please reach out. We'd love to hear from you at thereformpod at gmail.com. We want to fully thank and recognize our sources and their work. Our work is really based off of these sources, and it wouldn't be possible without them. A full list and links will be available on our website at thereformpodcast.com. Thank you again for listening to the Reform Podcast. Before you go, we would love for you to leave us a review, give us a five-star rating if you think we deserve it, and let us know what you think. Your voice really matters. The Reform Podcast is researched and recorded and produced by me, Kimberly Dudick. You can follow the Reform Podcast and stay up to date on Instagram at the Reform Podcast, on Facebook at the Reform Podcast, and on Twitter at the Reform Pod. Our theme song is Be Mine by the Missoula, Montana musician Tom Catmull. We're making this show on and around the traditional lands of the Salish, Pondere, Kootenai, Shoshone, Blackfeet, Chinook, and Multnomah peoples, and many other Native tribes. With deep respect, we acknowledge the Indigenous people of the West, throughout the United States, and throughout the world. Wherever you are, thank you for listening. Until next time, keep searching for justice. I didn't mean nothing by it, darling, when the door locked in my little finger Walked hand in hand And that was just the sound of a word or sticker My thumb against some wood or something I, I got nothing planned And when the room is quiet, it's either one of two religions Joyful noise or a wide open space the letter pulls you short from a crowded room With your pocketbook in your heart and your mind Out of place Be mine Be mine Be mine Be Innocent is hearing lovers kiss in darkened taverns while mining your home. But when your ears fill twice with chance encounters a charming third, and you'll someday find it stained to your bones. It is particular about company, and it sparks the flame of jealousy in those you hold close. And it has no fear of poverty, the bottle or solace. You see, you are what. It needs most be mine, be mine.